it's all about learning, right? Optimize your learning. Think of it as building a startup like BrightFunnel. Selling now would be premature, right? The goal isn't to generate tons of cash from the business by selling it or whatever. The goal is to increase the value. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. jump into today's interview if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well that would be a huge help to the podcast so if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well thanks so much all right, everybody. Today we have Nadim Hossein, who's the CEO of Bright Funnel, which paints a complete picture of marketing's impact on sales with the leading attribution and forecasting solution for B2B marketers. And I'm going to let him explain what that means in a second. But Nadim, how are you? Good. How are you? I am doing good. Thanks for being on the show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then now let's talk about the company. Yeah, sure thing. So like some of your listeners, I'm a, I'm a former VP of marketing. So I was at a SaaS company that uh, you know, had, a, had a good exit. And before that, I was at salesforce.com. But I remember being, you know, at board meetings and, and thinking to myself, you know, why am I, why am I making stuff up? You know, I'm a data-driven guy, you know, pretty analytical, ex-product guy. Why can't I have the insights I need on connecting my marketing efforts to revenue and pipeline? And, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years and, you know, here we are. Got it. Okay. So what does BrightFunnel do exactly? Good question. So what we do, so we are a marketing analytics product, uh, very broadly speaking, and more specifically, what we do is marketing attribution. The idea of attribution has been around for a long time. It's, it's saying that, hey, you attended a webinar or met you at a trade show. What is that worth? Uh, was there any value to that in terms of dollars, revenue, or pipeline? And that concept exists in B2B as well as B2C. The consumer world has evolved, as is typical, five years ahead of us, or if not more, in the B2B world, it's a little different because its attribution is really about it involves both marketing and sales. So, for example, one of the real value props of BrightFunnel is doing analytics for account-based marketing. So you have a set of accounts you're going after. What did marketing accomplish at those accounts? And obviously, that's how sales sells. And so that's an example of how B2B marketing is, is different than B2C marketing. But that's the overall category that we're really helping to create in marketing technology. Okay. Now, do you have any type of real life case study or example that people can kind of use to, to wrap their head around more on, on how this re- works in real life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you, know, if you go to, you know, brightfunnel.com, you can sort of see the, the full details for yourself if, if anyone's curious, but you can see examples of, uh, you know, actual folks. So I'll just pick one. You know, one of our customers, for example, is a great company called Nimble storage. You know what they found is that they were really able to save a ton of time in terms of automating the data sitting in Salesforce. It's sitting in, in their case, in Marketo, and there's a board meeting coming up where they're trying to make a decision on whether to, you know, double down on an expensive trade show. BrightFunnel gives them those insights really quickly. So in their in their case, uh, it was a fascinating story because they actually saw 128 percent increase in marketing-influenced bookings. 
And you know, this is certainly partly because they're making better decisions. And it's also partly because there's a leaky bucket in terms of attribution. Marketers can't even find the things they're actually doing well. So there's really a double-edged sword as a marketer. You're often not getting credit for the work you're doing. You can't prove it. So in their case, great story because they saw that 128% increase. There's other examples if you're curious. Uh, maybe I'll give one more example just so people can get their heads around it. Another great company in Voca, actually, they were, they were just in the press yesterday. They raised, great company, um, they raised $30 million in a, in a Series D. And I'm sure, you know, I would bet they'll go public in the next couple of years. They're really all about, you know, the mobile era and specifically about quantifying and automating the phone calls you get, especially if you're a large consumer company that has a high call volume. So they're using us to figure out, again, similar kind of thing as Nimble Storage is sort of on the operational part, automating things uh, through attribution. For them, it was really about speed. Uh, They were able to get marketing insights 130 times faster uh, using BrightFunnel. And what that means practically is that, you know, instead of having insights about if something worked or not a week later, as sort of happens with traditional BI and sort of the old stack of analytics, marketers can actually in real time know that hey, I'm making a decision right now on, you know, this type of segment of customers and what to do for their buyer's journey, what worked, what didn't. So everything can be much more data-driven. That's really ultimately what we're all about. And what I personally am all about is is being data-driven and really bringing marketers um, into this new data-driven era. Uh, It's going to happen whether BrightFunnel or I do anything about it or not. Um, but it's what makes it fun. It's in, in, inevitable that we're all going to be data-driven in marketing. We might as well have fun while doing it and really harness uh, the power of that data to make our, our jobs easier. And, and really, I do see it as making people's lives better. I, you know, Even though people, there, there's certainly cynicism in the valley. We all think we're changing the world. <laughs> yeah. I'm no different. The, the way I think I'm changing the world, or our team is, is you, know, you think about you know our audience marketers, so many of them, just don't get the credit they deserve. So, so if you're in, in a B2B company and, and maybe you're in sales or some other function engineering, you know, go give your marketer a hug, maybe with their permission, and just tell them you understand how hard their job is. That's really something I see as, as something, a common feeling among marketers. And, and we really believe we, we want to help them enjoy their jobs better and do a better job. So as a marketer, if I were to distill this down, you know, basically I'm going to get the important insights faster and that way we can move much more nimbly as an organization and we're going to get results faster and then ultimately we're going to move up and to the right faster. Is that kind of correct? Absolutely. I'll give you a live example. So we just, I think it was a week or two ago, we had MarTech, the Marketing Technology Summit, which is, is amazing how big it's gotten. My director of engine asked me probably a couple months before that, hey, should we do this? For us, it wasn't an ambiguous discussion. We just looked at BrightFunnel. We looked at a multi-touch model. So we weren't just curious about, hey, did it source a bunch of leads? That's not what trade shows are about, right? Sure, you want some new conversations, but a lot of what trade shows are about is that in-person high bandwidth interaction, meeting your existing customers, upselling them, or meeting known target accounts and meeting them face-to-face, reconnecting. And so to do that, you really have to look at your full funnel and who did you touch at what stage in the funnel. So to do that, it took me less than the time it took me to describe it, you know, in the last 30 seconds. I just clicked on a button and saw that, yeah, MarTech, ROI positive in a big way, uh, which is sort of the data part of it. But you also need stories. Uh, decisions are made both with hard data and with things that connect with uh, the other part of your brain. 
And the story was, hey, look, these are three accounts that we remember talking to last year. And they all closed. All the opportunities were created the following week after MarTech. So things like that. You can imagine that conversation happening for all manner of marketing campaigns, being data-driven for your decisions and having much more confidence and visibility in what you do. That's powerful. And a second ago, you mentioned you know, account-based marketing and sales. And I think it would be helpful if you clarified what that meant. Sure. So sales has always been account-based, right? So to salespeople, it's no surprise. I mean, what, what else can you be based besides account-based? But for marketing, it's new. I mean, we've always wanted to, as marketers, be account-based. I mean, that's sort of the idea of one-to-one marketing, essentially. Uh, in the consumer land, it's a person. The consumer in the B2B world, it's both a person and an account. So marketing has gone through an evolution. And, you know, my view of it is that certainly, you know, it's gone through more recently things like inbound marketing, sort of demand gen, which are really two sides of the same coin. But the idea being you're generating lots of leads, you know, sort of that a big funnel that you're filtering down to closing a few people. What's happened in the last few years is that, you know, again, part of this data-driven revolution is that the data has really exploded. So now you have, you know, if I'm targeting someone, let's say at Cisco, Cisco is a dream account for me, right? So let's say I want to go get Cisco. It's no longer hypothetical. I can go figure out all the business units. I can figure out who works there, who's got a marketing ops title, who's got a demand gen title, who's got a CMO title, and I can advertise to them, I can market to them, et cetera. So that's the idea of account-based marketing is that you can actually spend your dollars more precisely on the folks you care about, which is sort of a no-brainer. So it's, it's getting a lot of hype, and, and I think there's certainly, as all things with hype, it's going to get some amount of backlash next year. But I think this is real. I mean, unlike some other trends that, that come and go in tech in general, this is a real trend. This is really how people want to be sold to it. It's also how marketers and salespeople want to buy and sell. So and just to kind of double click on that, it's not that complicated. There aren't that many pieces to it. You need to know what accounts you're targeting. So I want to target Cisco because they've got Salesforce and they've got, you know, Marketo or Eloquent. Uh, so I know they're, they're, they're doing some modern marketing tactics. Then I have to figure out who the people are, right? And then I have to somehow target them, you know, through traditional methods like email or through, you know, other methods like field marketing or, you know, display ads that target the accounts and I have to measure the results. So it's, it's not super complicated uh, in idea and it's an old idea, but I think it's very, very powerful. Got it. Yeah. And there's certainly some great tools out there. I, I know we had uh, the, the CEO of Datanize on, on the show and uh, you know what, what you mentioned, you know, being able to target people by technologies that they're using. I think for people that are looking to do something like that, Datanize is something to look at for sure. Just wanted to put that out there. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. in terms of growth numbers around the business, what can you share with us in terms of growth rates, revenues, customers, what can you share? I was not expecting that, um, but it's a very good question. So, you know, we just raised our series A. So that was in, we announced it in December of, of 2015. And we are, like as typical for a Series A company, we're going to be, you know, we're in the millions of dollars of revenue, right? In the seven figures of ARR right now. So I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it pretty high level. And next year, you know, like a lot of growth companies, we are most likely going to be going out there and raising a Series B. But, but unlike, I think, a lot of companies, at least in the last couple of years, we certainly are looking to give ourselves a solid option to be to control our own destiny. We certainly want to have the option to turn cash flow positive. So really depending on whether next year if we raise and keep stepping on the gas or maybe not raise, get profitable and sort of have more measured growth, uh, the numbers could look look very different. But 
our dream is to do, you know, what uh, probably some folks that a lot of people listen to and read about describe. I think, uh, the, you know, Neeraj Agarwal from, from Battery has the great, now I was, I was getting it wrong, but T2D3, not, not T3D2. So, you know, you want to triple for the next couple of years and, uh, you know, then you want to double and then you're public. So I, I don't think our journey will be very much different from that. Before we go further, I just wanted to tell you about a problem that entrepreneurs have been coming to me with. They don't know what they need to do next to grow their business or they don't have the right resources to execute on marketing needs. Oftentimes, they don't have the right marketing strategy or they don't know who or what to hire for. If this sounds like something you've been dealing with, I have a solution for you. Single Grain is a growth marketing agency ran by yours truly that has worked with venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies to help solve their marketing issues. Our strong points are in SEO and paid advertising, and if you need help in other areas, we're always happy to tap into our network of highly vetted vendors that we can even help manage for you. So there's no need to stress yourself out trying to find the right person for the job. We've got that covered. So if you're interested in this, just go to growtheverywhere.com slash help to get more information. Once again, that's growtheverywhere.com slash help. Okay, and I'm looking at your Crunchbase profile right now. In, in February 2013, you guys raised a $28,000 seed round, and then you guys have slowly progressed to kind of where you at in December 2015, guys raised $6 million. So, you know, a lot of times I think people will think, you know, I, I could just, within one year or so, you know, we can jo- just join like YC or something, and then, you know, things are going to take off after that, and then, uh, you know, we're going to go public, right? So it seems like, you know, you've kind of gone through the progressions here, and, you know, can you talk about kind of your journey from, you know, 2013 to 2014 as you guys went from that seed round to the angel round, kind of the struggles that you guys faced? Yeah, absolutely. So the the first thing I'll share is that every company has a year zero, you know, that they don't talk about, right? But, you know, the hardest thing about starting a company is that, you know, you're just another jerk with with a PowerPoint and a domain name, right? So, and no one talks about that. Oh, yeah, you know, I have to get off the couch and really think about it. You know, my ego's at stake, et cetera, et cetera. I think everyone has a period of time like that, whether or not it's very short or very long. So for me, it really started... October 2012, and I, that's the date I think about as starting Bright Funnel because that's when I committed to my now wife that, hey, I'm going to do this. Um, I don't think she believed me for, for a good four, six months. That's kind of the date in my mind. And, and January 2013 is kind of when we got going, incorporated, et cetera. And you know, that summer is when we raised our first round of capital. I think, I think Crunchbase has the order a bit more dispersed than it is. You know, we were part of an accelerator, Alchemist Accelerator, at the same time raised, uh, you know, a $650,000 angel round. About a year later, we raised a, a two and a quarter million seed round. And then another year and change later, raised a $6 million Series A. So so that's kind of our, our journey. You know, as far as the struggles, you know, there's so many, right? There's so many. It's always, you know, you're going to have wins. You know, you're going to have a punch to the gut. You know, I, I'm a former amateur boxer and, and uh, I like to often relate things back to boxing, but you know, it, it's, it's very similar, you know, to, to be able to land a punch on someone, you've, you've pretty much got to put yourself in harm's way. And I think it's very true for, for a lot of martial arts. So you've got to put yourself in harm's way and maybe take a punch before you can land one. Uh, and and I'll, I'll sort of stop my boxing metaphor there, but it's really the same way with, with a startup. You're going to take punches, right? So, so in our case, look, it was, it was hard for me. You know, we were, we had our first child August of 2013. So I was, I had a mental clock that I'm not going to be an unemployed dad. I need to have, and, and I define employment as a company that's raised some amount of money. So, so sort of, and, and at least one line of code basically. Um, and, and so that I made that a reality. That was my, my motivator. 
And so, so I think you know, that's sort of more of a positive motivator. But that first year when it's, you know, three people in a in free office space, in our case, there's really no downside. There's no customers. You're not renewing anyone. You have no bugs. And, you know, as you grow, there are things do get harder. So I'll give you, I know, try to be as specific as I can, but I'll share an anecdote. We are, a lot of our customers are later stage companies. So series C, D, public and so when I, whenever I get a chance to meet a CEO, I always ask them, or I used to ask them, hey, you know, tell me about the journey. Does it get easier? And I asked that about three times. And each time this, the answer was like, are you, are you freaking kidding me? It gets much, much harder. And I've seen that to be true. And, and obviously, we've just gotten started. We just got our Series A. But it only gets harder. But it is a lot of fun. So, so those, those are a few things. But as far as like hardships, you know, losing customers, I always take it personally. I think you have to, you've got to be paranoid and you've got to, it's got to be a personal quest. In my view, you know, that's an example. Sometimes things don't move as fast as you want to build a SaaS company. You need a certain number of customers to give you feedback and to make a better product. And if you're enterprise SaaS, as we are, you just have, you know, just the numbers are smaller, right? You can't just put out you know, a freemium thing, get a bunch of users and make the product better. So I think that that's really the struggle. And certainly fundraising is an endless topic, right? It's, it's a, uh, a lot of everyone has struggles with uh, has stories around fundraising, right? It's just uh, no matter what people say, it's not easy. And uh, you know, we certainly had our share of uh, you know it's just effort in the moment. Fundraising always seems man, it's taking forever. In hindsight, uh, it's sort of like having you know, I think having a newborn, you, you sort of forget how hard it is. Uh, as I'm experiencing now with our, with our second child. Congratulations! <laughs> cool. So you know, I want to talk about power review in a second, but um, you know. You talk about tactics that work at you know each stage of you know SaaS growth, and I, I think it's you know whether it's power reviews or the company that you're at right now, Bright Funnel. I guess what tactics work at each stage for for SaaS growth? Yeah, so I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a simple answer as in like try this tactic, but I think what is true is that in the early stages you don't need that many things to work. You know, for us last year, trade shows really worked. I mean, was that the right thing? Who knows, right? I mean, it just worked. I mean, we ha- there was some education involved. You know, I attended personally and I was able to have that conversation and it really was a, a strong performer for us. For someone else, it, it might be a different uh, different channel. So I think in the early stage, you just need a couple things to go right. And what I've observed in, in talking with, uh, you know, brand name sort of later stage venture backed companies, as I'm sure you have, is that, you know, sometimes you fall off a cliff, right? You, you, you something works until it doesn't, you know, it works great in the tech vertical. And then the mainstream doesn't care about that sort of message or that channel or or whatever it is that's working for you. Your question was about power reviews. You know, that company, when I joined was 75 people, great team, super interesting company, you know, a lot lot of great alumni, et cetera, but they, they were pivoting. They had pivoted from a consumer business model to a SaaS model. It's actually charging for their software and that came with some cultural change, came with new people on the team. Uh, and I was part of that, that transition. I came on board. Uh, I joined from Salesforce, really getting them to... So in a way, it was a very mature company in terms of traffic and usage and logos, but it was very immature in terms of enterprise DNA. And you know, I like to joke in hindsight that there were no jerks there from Oracle or, or Salesforce even who were less jerky, but, but still, you know, they didn't have that enterprise edge of 
let's go and, and just, uh, you know, take the mountain. It's a very different game in the consumer world. So there was a cultural transition story, I think, is, which is very interesting as far as the marketing mix and the growth, what worked. For us, we had to, we had to do multiple different things. The messaging had to be changed, product packaging, you know, pricing. So even before thinking about how we got to market, the thing we were going to market with had to really change. The people we went to market with had to be optimized. And that was really one of the inspirations for Bright Funnel was that power reviews. I couldn't easily answer the question, are we a mid-market company or an enterprise company? You know, the answers were should come from marketing and they, they existed in our Salesforce data, in our Marketo data, but I just couldn't answer it very quickly. Our CFO couldn't answer it. Our sales ops lead couldn't answer it. The three of us got together and it took us a couple of months of like, you know, nighttime projects or evening projects to kind of get to the answer. By that time, you know, we'd lost a lot of opportunities uh, to, to really use our resources carefully. So those are kind of some of the learnings that I had from, from Power Reviews. Uh, you know, our mix was, um, you know, content syndication, trade shows, you know, SDRs, you know, really the, the typical mix you see in sort of five-figure and, and low six-figure SaaS sales. Interesting. So when you say content syndication, can you talk a little more about that? Sure. You, you know, it, it's where we all talk about content, right? And I, and I think inbound marketing did a great job of creating a big name for itself. But guess what? It doesn't really work in enterprise, right? You can't just wait till people show up at your doorstep. If that's your approach for enterprise marketing, you're not going to have a lot of luck. And here's the thing. Your price points are high enough in enterprise that you can actually do something to accelerate it. So instead of just putting it out there and wait till people show up at your doorstep, you can take that piece of content and have it syndicated or promoted through you know, wherever your audience resides. So that's the idea behind content syndications. It, it could just be through a website. It could be through an email. It could be all of the above. And it, it tends to work um, pretty well for a lot of uh, enterprise companies. Okay. So power reviews, you know, we talked about this before uh, even getting on the podcast, uh, you know, how they went through a $168 million acquisition. So what are the highlights from that? It's um, like a lot of things. Uh, I think Jason Lemkin is usually right. And a lot of things he talks about, you know, I think I experienced those. And I wasn't a, certainly by no means a founder uh, of the company by any stretch. I was a VP of marketing. I was there for a relatively short time. But, you know, when you, when you have a, a win, a victory, being part of a journey, that, that's really special. There are so few victories of any magnitude, let alone above 100 million. It was a very special experience. You know, as far as, uh, you know, the, sort of the highlights, you know, certainly I remember, you know, our CEO sort of tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, look, here's what's happening. We're in acquisition talks and, you know, you're the marketing guy. You need to know so we can have a communications plan and et cetera. You know, that was certainly an interesting moment. I, I was there when we signed the, the final official paperwork. I took a picture, <laughs> not a selfie, but a picture. Things like that are, are, are very memorable. And, and also the downsides, you know, th- there are uh, certainly the post-acquisition wasn't as successful as, as people had hoped. And that's sort of probably a longer conversation. But uh, more more to the point, there was a really uh, a longer story of uh, I checked off an item on the bucket list I didn't expect to or want to. And I'm only kidding when I say it was on my list. I had to testify to uh, to the DOJ. Uh, they ended up um, contesting the acquisition, and, and it ended up being uh, spun off. Which is certainly the, the folks that were employees and founders, they sold their shares, but it was spun off to a new owner. So, so that was a cycle of you know acquisition, you know competition, number one, number two player in a space, acquisition, spin off. I'm not sure how many people have had that have had that experience. You know, one of the highlights for me personally, you know, I like to be pride myself as a marketer and being 
aggressive within reason, as you have to be in a startup, in one of the documents that came out in sort of the, the, the case with the DOJ was that, oh, they've hired a new you know, head of marketing and they're being really aggressive. I'd like to put that on my resume. I don't think I can, but, but uh, that, that felt really good to really make a dent in, in a competitor. You know, you know, Bizarre Voice, phenomenal company at the time, you know, really performing well, just an amazing sales machine. And I've learned from them, certainly, with competing with them and really losing to them at the end of the day. You know, we, we got bought for, call it 150. They went public for, for about a billion but what was uh, what was interesting was um, you know really that uh, that whole cycle is, is really an unusual one and seeing the impact of marketing that was really for me the the big memory is look the work that I did had a big impact you know our team put the company on the map right it, it was seen as the the low cost company couldn't really win we create a lot of noise it, it was it was fun right it, it was fun to go to battle and, and have an impact I think that's what all marketers really want to get appreciated for and, and have that opportunity. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? You've got great questions, Eric. And that's, a, that's a good one. I'd say the piece of advice I'd give to myself if I were 25 is it's all about learning, right? Optimize your learning. Think of it as building a startup like BrightFunnel. Selling now would be premature, right? The goal isn't to generate tons of cash from the business by selling it or whatever. The goal is to increase the value. I think a 25-year-old is like a Series A startup. You're looking to grow as quickly as possible and increase your, your intellectual property. What do you know? And the faster you can learn more things, the better. So if someone's 25 and listening to this, marketing technology is an amazing place to plant your flag because there's so much confusion. There's so many tools, so much data. You know, With more technology, it tends to elevate younger people. With more change, it tends to create lower, you know, glass ceilings for everyone. So I, I tell myself to to really learn as fast as I could, and you know, I think by and large I made the right decisions. But but certainly I could have done certain things faster. I think in hindsight, I love it. I mean, that's that's the one thing we look for when we're hiring. The, the by far the, the biggest trait is you know is this person a voracious learner or not? Whether they're young or they're not, you know, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I totally agree with that, and I'm glad we're on the same page there. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you. My test for is someone a good hire or not, you know, as a CEO, even during an interview, if through an interview process, by the end of it, I haven't learned something from you, I'm not going to hire you, right? I mean, it's got to be like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. Or that's really something new and an idea that velocity of thinking and synthesis is critical in a startup. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. If you can't learn fast, it's the kiss of death in a startup. I'm totally going to steal that. If I don't learn from them, if I don't feel that little bit of surprise, well, then it's game over. I like that. Cool. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Well, there's business books. Uh, so it comes to certainly... Let's go with business. Uh, yeah, I mean, Hard Things About Hard Things is just a great book, right? I mean, you know, kind of like what I was saying is like what we represent for marketers. Like, look, your job is hard. That's the feeling I got reading that book, which is that, look, your, your job is hard as a CEO, right? It's easy for an investor to say, oh, your market's not big enough, this and that. Or like, oh, you ought to increase price. Okay, great. Well, definitely got the hard thing about hard things. I think it's a fantastic book. I think that's probably, that is by far the most recommended book on, on this podcast. I think that's probably 25 or 26. Yeah. So I love it. I, I think there needs to be a hard thing about hard thing for a uh, hard thing about hard things for marketers too, not just for, for CEO. So maybe you can write that. Cool. Well, Nadim, this has been fantastic. Yeah, sure. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.